Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. John chapter 6, verse 25 to 43. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then would you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Well, it's great to have you here with us this morning, as we've already said. We've been in a series called Amazing Love. It's an in-depth look at John's gospel. Um, Just to say, if you are new to the church, you're welcome. If you've got kids, to kind of bring them through. There are activities for them kind of around that way, but there's also the cafe. Enjoy the cafe if you need the toilet, the best toilet in London. We've recently refurbished it. I can say that honestly is just over that way. Um, But we're in this series. It's about John's gospel. We're about week 13 or the 13th message in this amazing first century account of the life of Jesus Christ. And I want to set the scene uh, with you as we unlock it together by asking these questions. What remains. After all is said and done in life, what actually lasts? We live in a world that is full of evil. There's this gangrenous infection of sin that began in the Garden of Eden 
and it spreads to poison and corrupt and to bring decay everywhere, right? Now, I was reminded of this a few months ago, and I had very innocently bought a, a chai latte from New Acre, I, the, the best drink in the world, from the best cafe in the world, I should just say. Um, wonderful chai latte. Yes, I do have a sweet tooth. Um, and I, I had enjoyed this chai latte in my R2-D2 Star Wars cup um, that says a little bit about me, if you don't know me. Um, however, um, there, there it is. There's the before picture. I then, having drunk it, forgot about it, and left it for 10 days on my desk. And this is what happened next. You can just about make that out. Looks much better up close. Um, Something like 20 to 30 maggots had infested, so I lifted the lid. It was like, oh, this is disgusting. Something so beautiful has been corrupted. How can this happen? Well, yeah, I'm not normally that kind of gross, but I just wanted to set the scene, and you'll see why, because this will be a sort of running refrain throughout this message, because I go back to the question, what is worth living for that won't spoil? That is the question, that is the challenge that God, Jesus, would bring from this passage. We've broken it down into three sections for your easy listening pleasure, um, because it's quite a long section, and sometimes we do short bits, sometimes we do longer bits. I would like to finish John's Gospel in my lifetime. Um, That's why we're doing a little bit longer today. We'd love to get to Revelation, the sequel to John's Gospel. Um, So we've broken it up. The second part will be, what does Jesus say? How does Jesus answer this, this issue? And then the last part, the third part, will be, what do you say about it? And then the first part, which we're going to look at very soon, is what does Judas say about it? What's the problem? You see, in the 1990s, there was this global phenomenon. If you're a Christian, you, you pretty much definitely know about it. If you weren't, you may not, because it, it, sort of, it did infiltrate more widely sort of Christian subculture, but it was called WWJD. What would Jesus do? And Christians like got embarrassingly obsessed about this. They wore these little friendship bracelets that had WWJD on, bumper stickers, mugs. It was, it was everywhere. Like, it was a big phenomenon. But today I'm more interested in this other question, WWJS, what would Judas say? Now why am I, why am I thinking about Judas? Because in verses 70 to verses 71, Jesus refers to Judas in this passage. And Judas, if you like, he's the ultimate example of somebody who lives for that which spoils, who ends up being full of regret, devastatingly unhappy. And his life then is a warning, a lived out picture of why we need to heed God's teaching. So what would Judas say? It's the first point. What would Judas say if he could speak from the darkest of graves, from the pits of eternal shame. What would Judas say if he was here today? The one Jesus, verse 70, called a devil who hanged himself with self-pitying sorrow. Now, just as an aside, we don't believe here that suicide is an unforgivable sin. Some might think that. 
If you're a, if a believer commits suicide, they go straight into the loving presence of Almighty God. That's our assurance. But as somebody who to their dying breath persistently refuses to accept God's advances, they don't. Judas was such a person. He refused to bring his guilt and shame to the only one who could help him. In Matthew chapter 27, we discover that he had remorse. There was a sense of sorrow that Judas experienced, but he refused to take it to Jesus. He refused, and he decided to deal with it on his own terms, in his own way. It said that he has even admits that he'd sinned, but he says he sinned against innocent blood. He sinned against a human being. He sinned against a man. He couldn't acknowledge he'd sinned against Christ, God himself. To his dying breath, he, he persisted in his unbelief. Perhaps he believed Jesus couldn't forgive him or wouldn't forgive him for what he had done. So I think there are two things that Jesus would say if he could. Words of Jesus Christ that he would wish that he had heeded in his own lifetime. The first of those is is don't work for things that spoil. Verse 27. One of those things could be money. A lot of people work for money. They work for the security and for the comfort and for the peace, the, the sense of well-being, influence that it, that it can bring. Significance, value, worth, identity, money can buy me the stuff that gets me that. Judas was someone who lived for money. Why, why do you say that? How, how do you know that? Well, if we fast forward a little bit into chapter 12 of John's Gospel, we see this amazing scene where Mary of Bethany has anointed Jesus' feet, and she's broken a vase of about a year's worth of salary. It could have been her dowry, her prospects for getting married, and she's shattered it on the feet of Jesus, this beautiful aroma, and she's, she's come in, and it's been sort of wasted, if you like, at the feet of Jesus, sort of anticipating almost somehow his burial. And it's a beautiful, glorious act. It's one of the most amazing moments of worship in Scripture. And then we read this about Judas. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag... He used to help himself to what was put into it. And he's already alluded to the cost of living crisis that we all face. You know, mortgage rates skyrocketing, utility bills going up and up and up, economy in crisis. And we're all told, save, batten down the hatches, be careful. It's easy in those times to make money your God. Turn to, to money for security and money for safety. But let me remind you that there was a worse cost of living crisis going on when this was written. There was oppressive Roman occupation of Israel, extremely aggressive taxation. Money was very tight. 
perhaps that was what was going on in Judas's mind. He was, I'm going to look after number one. I'm just going to make sure I've got enough money, a little bit here. I'm going to take a little bit there. I'm going to make sure I'm okay. Or it could have just been pure and sheer greed. Why greed? Well, in Matthew chapter 27, we see that Judas sold out Jesus for money for 30 pieces of silver. The Colombian drug lord, Pablo Escobar, says, everyone has a price. And I think he might know something about that. Being able to offer huge amounts of money. He's seen people of morals just turn in an instant because of the money that was given to them. He'd say, everyone has a price. Do you have a price? Could you betray Jesus? What would you betray him for? For some, it could be cash, could be, could be money. For others, it might be career. could betray Christ for, for your, your career. And not, not loving God as you should, you actually stop loving others as you should. It's kind of a two-for-one deal. You neglect Christ uh, as you put yourself first. You neglect your family because you're not putting them uh, as a scene of importance any, anymore. You're neglecting spending time with them. You're so busy building the kingdom of me rather than seeking first the kingdom of God. Others betray Jesus for a sexual relationship outside of marriage. For others, it's an extramarital affair. Judas betrayed Jesus for four months' salary. That is all that the chief priest deemed Jesus worth. It's an extraordinary sum of money because it is actually the Old Testament price for a slave. You can do a little geek out deep dive if you want to after this in Exodus and Zechariah. Isn't it extraordinary that the God of all creation comes down, makes himself nothing, a servant, a slave, a slave to sin to save the world? An extraordinary picture. But Judas realizes what he's done. And the sweet taste of money suddenly spoils for him. Doesn't it? Probably tasted a lot sweeter than my chai latte. Suddenly there's money. But it very quickly turned to maggots in his mouth. He felt remorse. He wanted to get rid of it. Just wanted to get rid of it. He goes to the chief priests and he speaks to them. And he says, I've sinned and I've done wrong. Do they help him? Do they draw out a a confession from him? Do they lead him into a place of repentance? No, they actually hold back and they say, no, it's not, not, not our responsibility, mate. It's all on you. They were involved in this. They gave him the money to betray the Christ, but they won't own it. No mercy, no forgiveness, no grace, no kindness, no compassion. Such is the way of human religion. Not so with Christianity. What was so precious to Judas had suddenly perished for him. And so the question is, 
What are you seeing and valuing as important that is earthly, that is temporal, versus the things which are eternal? What are the spoils that you've got tangled up with and have started living for? Just hold that question for a moment. The second words of life that I believe Jesus, Judas rather, would have wished that he had heeded that Jesus had said comes from verse 43. Jesus says, stop grumbling. Stop grumbling. Now, I sometimes think that um, maybe when the spiritual gifts were being given out, that somehow I was given the gift of grumbling by mistake. Somehow I got overlooked. So you get sort of people and you're like, wow, they got the gift of evangelism. That's amazing. They got the gift of leadership. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, what about you? I'll give you the gift of wisdom. Oh, about you? I'll give you the gift of prophecy. Oh, it's Howard. Let's give him the gift of grumbling. Why do I say that? Because I'm just, frankly, I'm really good at it supernatural ability in this whole area of complaining and grumbling. I'm just, I'm really, I'm quite, ask my wife. This is, a, this is a special talent of mine. Yesterday we went to see The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe at the theater. So I, like, C.S. Lewis is one of my personal heroes. I love Narnia. I have said I'm raising my children as if they are Narnians. I am Narnia obsessed. So I'm there, and I'm there with the people that I love most on this planet, my amazing wife and my two kids. I'm there. It's like, it's got to be amazing, right? And in my head, I'm thinking, like, I'm really worried because when I get that, I know I'm going to grumble about the seats that we've got. So I'm, like, preparing myself to make sure that I don't moan and complain and spoil it because I know that's a temptation. I managed to get through that, but in the break, we had to go and get ice cream for our kids because it was there available. It was five pounds for the tiniest little pot, and I'm like, I'm... I want to grumble. Could buy a whole tub for £2.50 for vanilla ice cream. It's the one thing as a parent that I could not bring with me because it has to be frozen. And then what does one of my kids do? They waited and they turned it into ice cream soup. So I probably could have brought it anyway. I'm I'm a grumbler. That's the point. I wonder if you're a grumbler, a moaner. Grumble about all sorts of things in life. Grumble about church. Maybe you grumble about people in church. Jesus said, stop grumbling. Stop grumbling to the Jews. They were grumbling about Jesus, Jesus' identity. It's like, he said he came down from heaven. How could he come down from heaven if his parents are Mary and Joseph, if he's, if he's the son of a carpenter? How is that? We're grumbling about him for that. We're grumbling about him healing on the Sabbath. We're grumbling about him seeming to break laws and do things we don't like. They were grumbling, the Jews. Judas grumbled about Jesus as well. Why does he waste wealth? Why is he saying really difficult things? Like, in a moment, in order to be saved, you have to eat my flesh. I mean, like, come on. You're not going to get a following like that. People are turning away, Jesus. We need a massive majority to come with us, popular rebellion to overturn the Romans. Jesus, you should be fighting for our rights, for my rights. The Jews thought they knew better than Jesus. Judas thought he knew better than Jesus. And isn't that the honest truth of what lies behind our grumbling? 
We think we know better. We think we deserve better. It's pride. It's just pride. The danger with grumbling as well is it could have stoked disappointment. And that disappointment, not dealt with rightly, can open a door to the dark side. This is what happened to Judas. Judas was disappointed with Jesus, disappointed with God. He let a root of bitterness grow in his heart that starved his soul of the life that was available to him in Christ. So even though he was incredibly close to Christ, even though he spent time with Christ, time with his embryonic church that was forming, he was dying more and more inside because the root of bitterness was starving him of the life that Jesus was offering him. Are you disappointed with God? Are you disappointed with leaders? Are you disappointed with church? Are you disappointed with people in your life, friends that you, you expected more from? Disappointed with your spouse, your partner? Disappointed with your parents? Just disappointed with life, full stop. Be careful not to let a root of bitterness grow in your heart. The way of Judas is proud, knowing better, I know better. The problem is with others, it's not with me. The way of Jesus is humility, is unity, is seeking to work for peace in the body of Christ. The writer of Hebrews puts it perfectly. He says this, make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. I know I'm not a perfect pastor. Far from it. However bad you think I am, I can tell you I'm almost certainly worse. (laughs) If you saw the rest of my life, I think our church is wonderful, but I know we have weaknesses. I'm not naive like that, that we're working on. But I have to say this to myself as I have to say it to you. Grumbling is not the way forward. It leads to bitterness, love, unity, peace. The way of Jesus, not the way of Judas. Judas, it says, he looked to himself for help, for answers. God calls us to look to the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do in this next section. So let's roll the next part of the Bible reading. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of what he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 
At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, and I will give for the life for the, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Great. Our second question. What? What? does Jesus say? Because he's alive and he's still speaking. Well, I've got three words, whoever, never, and forever. The first word you can see, whoever. Jesus doesn't just say it once, he says it seven times in this short passage. Again and again, he's making a very clear and deliberate point. Whoever you are, you can be invited, you can come in, you can receive this. Whoever you are, such encouraging words to us, whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, whether you're rich or poor, whether your skin color is brown, peach or green, it doesn't matter. Whoever you are, you're welcome. Even Judas could have been included. Jesus washed his feet like the other disciples, knowing what was going to happen. He still, if there's any chance for your rescue, redemption, I'll include you. It was a picture of the cross, washing the disciples' feet, washing away our sin. Moses was included. He was a murderer, by the way. David was included. He was an adulterer, by the way. These disciples, they were included, many of them uneducated, not impressive, hadn't been to university kind of people, country bumpkins with an accent, which was kind of embarrassing if you were kind of, when they went down south, they were kind of sort of mocked for speaking simplistically, if you like. And Jesus constantly challenging them, you have little faith, you have little faith, you have little faith. It's amazing that all of this is included. If you were writing these gospels to try and make yourself look good as a disciple, you would not have done what they did right? It's it's awkward. Yeah, they're included. These people of little faith, they're included. Whoever, whoever, whoever believes, Jesus says, whoever believes. If you think of yourself as a sinner, hallelujah, you're almost certainly included. There's a high chance. If you don't, then you might be in trouble. 
You may be spiritually dead. If you're not aware that, that there's something wrong inside you, then you might need help to see that. And I think most people can see it in the world. Like yesterday, we were walking back from the line, the witch in the wardrobe. We got past four protests that are going on like in the area, like four. Um, it's crazy over freedom for Iran. That's going on in the Ukraine as well. It's, it's there, like free Julian Assange and others, one for oil. People can see all the corruption and the problem and the evil in the world out there. But it's in here as well. It's inside us. We're part of the problem. There's something not right. There's a tendency towards selfishness and putting ourselves first. Don't you ache for that to be healed? It says whoever, whoever. This means it doesn't matter how bad you are, how bad you think you are, or how bad you actually are. What matters is how good God is. It's not about the person who's doing the believing. It's all about the one that you are believing upon, Jesus Christ. And he says, whoever, whoever you are, you're welcome. Come. He'd invite you, come. Come. Unless you exclude yourself like Judas did. Whoever. The next word is never. Jesus says, Never. Just think for a moment about how powerful and strong this word is. It permits no exceptions whatsoever. Never. Maybe you have fears and anxieties about coming to Jesus, that you're not good enough, that you didn't come soon enough, that you haven't come often enough, that you haven't come in the right way, that you haven't come and you're not able to offer him anything. Well, this word never was written for you. John Bunyan would agree with me about this. Um, he actually, um, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It's the most successful, well, one of the most successful books in the world still today. And he wrote an entire book, 106 pages on one verse, John chapter 6, verse 37. You can see it here. All those the Father gives me, or draws, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, or in his language, no wise, drive or cast away. Whoever you are, however you come, he will not cast away. There is no qualification in that verse. It is not there. You can be absolutely certain that if you come to him today, tomorrow, this week, he will receive you, he will hold you, and he will never, never, never let you go. All who come, he will receive. If he was to cast away, it would be some weakness in his love. It would say something limited, that his love isn't strong enough, his love isn't powerful enough, his love isn't great enough. If he was to cast away, he wouldn't be God. He would be saying, no, Father, you've drawn them, I don't want them. He'd be dishonoring the trust that he's been given. He would be breaking the very Trinity itself. It's impossible for him not to receive. He cannot cast away. And John Bunyan here then describes this absolute promise of a verse. He calls it, a big-bellied 
promise. Because it hath in itself a fullness of all desired things for us. And will, when the time of that promise has come, yield to us mortals that which will verily save us, yea, and make us capable of answering of the demands of the promise that is conditional. That may not have made much sense to you. But he's saying this promise is so fat and rich that it will override your stubbornness. God has promised. He has spoken. You cannot go against this. Our freedom has been overruled by his promise, yet we're not made robotic automatons. His promise holds within it all the conditional stuff which is dependent upon us, but because he's spoken this promise, it must come to pass. He will receive us. And the final word of Jesus is forever. He says it twice in verses 51 and 58. As well as speaking about eternal life three times in this passage. And he talks about the quality of life that will satisfy your deepest longings. A forever kind of life. Breaking into your heart. To your very being. That goes on for eternity. And he describes it against the backdrop of physical bread that spoils. Normal bread goes moldy over time. Then he even says, well, what about the bread from heaven? The manna from heaven. Yeah, even that. Even that spoiled. And then he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread that will never spoil. I'm the eternal bread, the essential staple necessary for your life, for your well-being, for your health. You've got to eat of me if you really want to live. And he's saying very clearly, eat, eat my broken body on the cross as I died to cleanse you from your sin. Drink my shed blood on the cross which pays the penalty for all your wrongdoing and all the good you should have done that you never did. Feast upon me. Take yourself inside me. Ingest me. Digest me. This picture of digestion has a parallel mechanically with cars. Cars take petrol into themselves, right? And then there is a process of combustion where the energy in the petrol is released to power the car to move forward. Same is true with digestion. You take the bread in and there's a process of combustion that releases the energy to drive you forward. Now, Jesus is saying that happens at an extraordinarily supernatural level. When you feast of him, you take him in to you to give you a new power and a new strength that surges inside you, that combusts, that explodes with power and anointing the very life of God himself inside you, which is now destroying bad habits and enabling you to live out good ones. And that is the definition of a Christian. If you thought it was living up to some standard, no, it's a power inside you, healing you and transforming you and enabling you to live right for him. That leads us to the final Bible reading and the final question. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. 
The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So what do you say? The final question. Jesus asked his disciples and they responded, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. What do you say? What's your answer to that? Now, you could continue maybe to sit on the fence about that, even as a kind of Christian who's not quite sure of what they believe. But sitting on the fence is really painful. Like, just imagine sitting on that fence, right? It's going to hurt. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to go the way of Judas, of just proudly believing that you know better than God and everyone else? Or are you going to go the way of Jesus, humility, acceptance, embrace? John Bunyan said that the main reason he believes why people don't come to Jesus is because they knowest but little of the grace and kindness that is in the heart of Christ. If only you knew who he is, what he offers, you would come. You would come. John Bunyan wrote this of the love of Christ. He, by the way, was a tinker, very humble profession who was transformed by Christ to become this extraordinary writer and preacher. He said, it is beyond, this love is beyond the love of all the earth, of all creatures, even of men and angels. His love prevailed with him to lay aside his glory, to leave the heavenly place, to clothe himself with flesh, to be born in a stable, to be laid in a manger, to live a poor life in the world, to take upon him our sicknesses, infirmities, sins, curse, death, and the wrath that was due to mankind. And all this he did for a base, undeserving, unthankful people, yea, for a people that was at enmity, at war with him. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you need to stop working and living for things that spoil? Because compared to his love, they're worthless. Do you need to stop grumbling so you can give thanks and celebrate the goodness of who he is and what he's done? Do you need to feast on him today? The whoever, the never, the forever of the beauty of Christ. What do you say? What do you say? Will you run to others, other things, or will you say, no, only 
you have the words of eternal life. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray. And then I'm going to read another section from John Bunyan's great book written in 1681. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we are sinners, that you loved us, that you came to heal us of our wrong, bent desires. Help us in this moment to meet with you. Help us to come to you. Help us not to believe that you would not receive us, but that you would welcome each and every one of us. Help us to respond with worshipping you rightly in your name. Amen. But I am a great sinner, say ye. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say ye. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say ye. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. Lord, we are so thankful that you receive us, that we can come just as we are, whoever we are, however broken, however criminal, However uncaring, however selfish, however good or bad, you will receive us just as we are with arms of grace, with arms of love, with a love that this world just doesn't yet know how great this love is. And Lord, we pray, reveal that love, manifest it, break in today. Help people to tangibly touch, taste and feel your love and how superior it is to all the things that we could waste our lives living for in this world that spoil. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.